Um, first of all, good morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Adam Renard. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I'm 40 years old. I received Christ at age 21. I've been married for 17 years. I have three amazing kids that span from 13 years old all the way down to seven months. I'm a fourth grade teacher. I teach math and science. And just last year, I started working on a master's degree in conservation biology. But today's a big day. It's a first. I get to stand before a congregation of people and preach the word of God. Not just any words, but Terry Lee called and said, hey, would you be willing to preach on July 3rd? Aside from the fact that it's a very small crowd today, uh, I am very excited to do it. Um, you see, it's the verse that changed my life. If for some reason today is the only day that I get to preach, if my life were to be cut short, or if I were to do a bad job, or if whatever, this is the section of the Bible that I need to preach. Uh, it is very weighty. It is very real. But if I'm going to take a shot, this is going to be the one I'm going to take. You see, beloved, today I am going to preach to you about dangers, warnings from our Lord and Savior, things that we are to look out for. Dangers are an interesting thing because they're not always obvious. Let me give you an example. As I said, I started a master's in conservation biology. It's a program that goes through Miami University, but it's a joint partnership with the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden. Some of you have heard this story, so forgive me for repeating it. But one of the most memorable moments I've had so far was getting to go behind the scenes at the reptile house. They took us in an exit that is like right there as you walk in. There's a little door. You don't even really notice it as you walk through. But when you walk in, the habitats for each reptile are along the wall. Some of them have little red locks on them marked hot. On the right side, there's a button that says venomous bite alarm. Next to it is a list of directions. The first one reads victim, and it tells you what to do if you're bit by a snake. The last one says, relax. <laughs> I don't know about you. It's not my nature. Um, but for all the perceived danger, for all of the known problems that can come with this, not one worker at the Cincinnati Zoo in over 100 years has ever been bitten by a poisonous snake. The danger is real and it's obvious, and they're well prepared for it. In contrast, we need to look no further than our beloved Fiona. No, I am not telling you that any worker has been injured or died working with the hippos at the Cincinnati Zoo. However, it may surprise you to know that in the continent of Africa, the second deadliest animal behind only the mosquito, which passes diseases among people, is the hippopotamus. You see, what is unknown to people is that this herbivore is very territorial and very protective of its young. 
This 3,000-pound giant is very agile on land and very fast in the water. This is a mistake that 3,000 Africans a year make once. The danger isn't obvious. The dangers like this that are caused in our faith are things that we are unaware of. We find ourselves in situations, and before we know what is even happening, it's too late. In Matthew 7, 13 through 27, Jesus warns his disciples of three very specific dangers and then gives us a view of a very real hope. As we jump in, we are rounding out Matthew's recounting of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, I would encourage you to do so. It is a fantastic scripture that gives you life lessons from the very lips of Jesus. They are great exhortations. However, today, we are just going to focus on the end of the sermon, which brings me to my main point. I've always wanted to see it pop up there. <laughs> anyway. The call to discipleship is filled with danger, but there is hope in a firm foundation. Let me meet you where you are this morning. People around us find themselves in dangers that they are unaware of. In a world with many hidden perils, believers have refuge in Christ. Jesus will sustain us to the end. Looking at the words of Christ in Matthew 7, 13 through 27, as an encouragement that Christ leads us down the path of freedom or as a warning against the cultural current, we must find our feet on the path of eternal life. If you're with me, join me there, and let's read it together. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, or cast out demons in your name, or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been built or been founded 
on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a fool or a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father God, I am fearful. I am nervous. I am on pins and needles. Lord, you are so great and so worthy of praise and adoration and love and to be lifted up because you have walked a path that none of us can walk. You have completed a perfect race. And Lord, all we can do is each day and every day draw nearer to you and try to look more and more like you in our lives. Father, we are terrified that you might never know us. And all we strive for, Father, is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So Lord, as I bring these words today, I pray that you would empty me of myself and that you would fill me with your spirit. That from this point forward, Father, every word would be your words. And every heart in here would be soft to receive it. Lord, I love you, and I praise you for this opportunity. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, let me meet you where you are this morning. You see, people around us find themselves in danger that they are constantly unaware of. The world, with many hidden perils, is dangerous. But believers have a refuge in Christ. Jesus sustains until the end. And let us look at the words of Christ as either an encouragement that Christ is leading us down the path to freedom or as a warning to fight against a cultural current that may find our feet on a path that leads us down the wrong direction. My first point today, folks, is that as we enter, excuse me, we are to enter, entering, there it is, entering, entering the gate that leads to life is not easy. Jesus lays out two paths, right? Each is opposite in every way. One is narrow and the other is wide. Think of it like going into a stadium. As you enter the stadium, you have to walk through a very small entrance point. You have to give somebody your ticket. You have to go through a metal detector. Each person can only enter one at a time. However, when you leave the stadium, they open the gate up wide. Hundreds of people pouring out of the stadium together, walking in the same direction, shoulder to shoulder, are leaving through a wide gate. Jesus says, on that path, there will be many. Again, the stadium analogy. Hundreds of people walking in the same direction, heading home toward whatever destination they have. The other path has few people, small groups, individuals walking, sometimes alone, sometimes in pairs. Think of it like a hiking trail. One path is easy, well-worn, laid flat, free of obstacles. 
the other one is hard. Maybe it's an incline. Maybe there are points that are very thin to walk past. Maybe there are obstacles to overcome. What Jesus says is that those roads are dangerous, not because of the road themselves, but because of the destination. He says that one path leads to destruction. The travelers march towards the wrath of God, unconcerned or unaware of the looming consequence. The narrow path, on the other hand, leads to eternal life, a walk that had been completed by Jesus living his perfect life, dying, and being resurrected. We can walk this path with confidence because our Lord and Savior has completed the trek and won the war for us. This scripture's goal is the first of three warnings that demands self-exploration. Look at your life, asking hard questions and repenting if necessary in order to ensure that you are on the correct path. There's something else here though, beloved. A great number of readers would perceive this as a choice. I am to go this way or I am to go that way. However, the Bible teaches differently. You see, we're all sinners. We are born sinners. You are already on the path of destruction when you start. You don't have a choice. Society walks that way with you. They create a difficult current of culture to fight against, but we must fight. You see, it is possible to simply drift with the crowd and never realize what destination you're heading towards. Seeking the narrow gate is not an action that takes place on Sunday morning or during church events. It begins when you open your eyes in the morning and it ends once you drift off to sleep at night. We have to actively break away from the large group. We have to push in a different direction. It's an effort that we have to make. So what does that look like? To examine your life at home, at work, or when you're out and about. We walk this path, but we are never alone. Christ is with us to help establish priorities that place him front and center. We are empowered by the Spirit to establish our priorities. We have to turn away from distractions. Things like popular shows, common trends, or time-consuming activities that demand engagement, social feeds, battle passes, things that require us to continually come back and engage with that in place of our focus on faith, blah, excuse me. We have to be in the word daily. We have to make time to pray. We have to make relationships with the people that God places before us. And we have to be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our actions should clearly reflect that Christ is our Lord. But it's not just our actions that we have to measure. Also our words. Do you sound like others? How do you speak about people? Are you willing to close an app when necessary? 
Are you willing to walk away from a stumbling block conversation? We cannot engage in every conversation James, or excuse me, every conversation that's placed before us. James 3.8 says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The older I get, the more I realize there is a great importance to listening. I find that important conversations, it is best to listen, process, and only when asked for my opinion, give it. There is a strength in not opening your mouth to hearing other people, to listening to what they have to say. Then when we speak, that our words be encouraging and provide improvement in a positive way. The path to life is difficult and one that requires reflections. One pastor used to tell me that each day we were to rise and preach the gospel to ourselves. God is holy. We are sinners by very nature. Christ came and lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we could not die and rose again. We are to repent and believe on Christ. This warning is an echo. It echoes the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, where he says, I have set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life. If we are able to choose life and we are able to get to the narrow path, that does not mean things are going to get easier. There are more dangers to be found. A danger that is constantly attempting to lure us away from our faith. The second danger from this text is to beware of false prophets in whatever form they take. Jesus warns us that false prophets are coming. The work of false prophets is an old danger that seems to reinvent itself for every age. In Matthew, Jesus is referring to people who knew the Old Testament well, but would wrongfully speak on behalf of God. He describes them as ravenous wolves dressed to fit in with the flock. They abuse a position in order to gain some sort of power and prestige. The real prophets of the time, led by God, would share difficult truths with people. They would evaluate the times and call people to repentance. Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruit. It may help that we look at it a little differently. You see, Scripture seems to be putting this together in one thing, but on further inspection, there are two metaphors at play here. The first is that the fruit must be properly identified. Jesus says that grapes cannot be gathered from thistles and that thorns do not grow on fig trees. Figs and grapes, at the time, were an exceptionally useful fruit. Thistles, on the other hand, not so much, meaning that a tree that would grow them was unhelpful. The image represents the difference between teachers who produce useful fruit and ones that in congregations never grow. The people in a church of useless fruit may come and be happy, but they're stationary in their faith. 
If you look at their fruit, you may find people who would choose materialism over sacrificial giving. Living on missions is impacted by a concern of comfort and reputation rather than how you serve. Fruit is always revealed in action. The second metaphor says that a healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. This would seem to refer to the good fruit of a faithful pastor having a strong congregation that grows in faith continually. The congregation may be small in size, but demonstrate true and genuine love for God in their character. In contrast, a false, pro the false prophet shares a message that is harmful and will lead people astray. As the congregation goes forth, they have small faith an incorrect understanding of scripture. This is ultimately more harmful than good. There are a number of ways to identify a false teacher or a false prophet. The early church would simply judge whether or not the prophecy that they made came true. A false prophet can be revealed when they call people to worship idols or other gods. Additionally, a false prophet might encourage ungodly behavior that appears to be more in line with worldly practice. Decisions made could have a foundation that looks to be in line with God, but ultimately is seeking to achieve a separate agenda. The last way to identify a false prophet is by how they display true repentance in their life. The focus of a prophet or a teacher should always be the work of God. If that's not visible in their lives, the bad fruit will reveal itself with time. So what form do false prophets take today? Well, I'm sorry to say that the narrow path is full of more landmines now than it has ever been in history. Hidden dangers that we can step on without any recognition and that can blow up our once firm faith with a simple click. Consider that in the early church, a false prophet would literally have to come to your town in order to spread a message. You would have to see them face to face. While these wolves in sheep's clothing are still a problem today, there are some places that I would focus on that are more in line and specific to this day and age. There are three landmines on this path that I wanna point out in particular. The first, your social media feed. If you have a little rectangle in your pocket, you likely have social media on it. It is very easy to be swept up by a false prophet who will sneak onto that platform. The reason being is whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, any time that you click that little heart or thumbs up, any time that you watch a video and respond, any time that you even take an additional second to look at something, there is an algorithm reading your actions. That algorithm doesn't care about your theology. It only is interested in keeping you engaged, whether that's finding something that you liked or something that just caught your ire. Church, there's a lot of bad theology on the internet that if you look at it for a moment might seem okay. You see, a wolf in sheep's clothing in this day and age can take the form of 240 characters. It is a dangerous threat and one we all have to be willing to walk away from if it's drawing us astray. 
Number two, another landmine that this message can show for us today is that just because it is online doesn't necessarily mean the message is for you. In our day and age, anything is available online. We have to be cautious of what we give our ears to. This can be a podcast discussing a topic that focuses too much on one idea, or a sermon by a local pastor meant for his congregation, not yours. I am not saying that any of this is bad by any stretch of the imagination. However, I am warning you that with these resources should come investigation. Take the time to find out about the person being interviewed. If it's a sermon, read the church's statement of faith before you listen. Make sure you know that their beliefs are in line with your beliefs before you listen to them and start following what they're saying. The third is a difficult one. It's one that seeks to take advantage of you. We live in a day and age where there are constantly companies trying to align themselves with you so that they will gather your loyalty to them. Companies that say, we have Christian values, but if you look at it, they might not be exactly the same as what you believe. They might not be as in line with the Bible as they want to be. Company after company is doing this because they know that Christians seek Christian community. This is happening even today with political parties. Do not be fooled. Nationalism and consumerism are not fruits of the spirit. Do not get pulled into something that does not actually represent your faith. The greatest protection that any of us can have in light of all of these landmines and anything else along the path is to know the word of God. If you know what the Bible says on a specific topic, or at the very least know where to find it, then you will not be fooled. It will be difficult to pull the wool over the eyes of someone who is familiar with the word of God. This is true of an encounter you might have on the internet, in a book, or in person. The reality, though, is that the greatest looming threat is one we don't see. The third danger is a hidden one. It is that on the last day, many will be turned away. When describing the two paths at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus said that many will find the path to destruction. Here again, Jesus uses the word many. This group, however, has fallen into one of the most distressful categories in all of creation. It is a group of people that professes to be following Christ with their lips alone. They wholeheartedly believe they will cross the finish line and hear the words, well done, only to find out that something has gone tragically wrong. When they cried out, Lord, Lord, it lacked substance. They paid the eternal price unknowingly. You see, Christ deserves to be called Lord. God is his father in a unique way. Jesus gets to say he's my father. 
He doesn't simply say Father or Our Father. He gets to put the word My in front of it. As such, he has the position of judge. When Jesus says in verse 22, on that day, he is referring to judgment day. Jesus will take a position as judge, knowing the hearts of all women and all men. He will judge everyone by the faith of one proclamation that they make in their lives. On that day, Matthew 40, or 13, 41 says that Jesus will send angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Later in chapter 16, it says that each person will be rewarded according to what he has done on judgment day. He will summon forth all flesh to stand before the glorious throne. The punishment of those without real faith is separation from God forever and the full weight of his wrath. The words that will echo in the ears of all non-believers, but especially those whose faith was not genuine, will be, I never knew you. Think for a second what it would be like to live the life that you are living right now believing firmly that you are in Christ's hand and hearing Jesus say, I never knew you. It's heartbreaking. Many a person in a church today will hear those words. It says many. These are matters of having faith in God. Jesus is pointing out that people can call on the Father, perform works in the name of Jesus in order to engage in great works and be devoid of real faith. You see, God may desire the outcome of the action being performed even though he doesn't know the person performing it. Those people walk the path of destruction without realizing which path they're on in the first place. Does that carry weight with you? Some here today, sitting here listening to my word, don't know Christ. Believers, does that carry weight? The worst problems are sometimes the ones that we don't see. They're the things that can haunt us without even realizing they happen. See, at age 32, I had a terrifying doctor's visit. I had been there the year before and been labeled pre-hypertension. I had a high reading and I have two parents who both have high blood pressure. I was 31 years old. This is gonna be a problem down the line. The next year I went into my normal visit and the nurse took my blood pressure, smiled at me, said, I'll be right back. Several minutes later, one of the doctors in the practice came in, said, how are you doing? Fine, excellent, we're just gonna take your blood pressure again. It was a little high, okay. Once again, I'll be back in a minute. Okay, she comes back in a few minutes later. How are you feeling? <laughs> Not as good as before. 
She took my blood pressure again. My readings were 160 over 101. If you are not in the medical field, that is a stroke level of blood pressure. I felt fine. I felt no different when I entered that office as I had the year before or the year before. Nothing had changed for me outwardly, but inwardly, there was tragedy ready to strike. It was an issue of catastrophe that I hadn't even seen coming. You see, there's a name for this kind of condition in the church. It's nominal Christianity. Those two words together means that you are you're a Christian by name only. I would make the assumption that most of you walked through these doors this morning, pure and ready with your heart set on your faith. I hope that you have gotten through the first two dangers feeling the same way. To me, this is the most frightening thing of all, though. Maybe you have gone to church your entire life because your family took you. Maybe you joined Young Life with some friends. Your actions would suggest that you love God, right? Well, let's put it to the test. I'm going to ask you all a series of questions. You can write them down if you want to, or they will be available in the notes in the weekly. I want you to consider these questions and be honest with what you find. If this practice reveals that you need to fight to the narrow path, then do so. There are brothers and sisters all around you willing to come alongside of you, willing to support you in this. If your answers are mostly positive, where can you pray that God would continue to strengthen you even more? Take a deep breath. Let's start. When it comes to God, do you believe that God cares for you in moments of trial and moments of ease? I've known believers who have a great relationship with God when everything is terrible. They rely on God. They need God. You need God. God's turning things around for me. And then the minute it gets easy, it goes away. I've also known Christians who, when it's easy, their faith is very real. But the minute it gets hard, they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They just have to do this. They just have to do that. They have to make a small tweak to get things correct in their lives. Question number two. When it comes to the word of God, do you enjoy reading the Bible and get nourishment from it? I'll confess. There have been times in my life where both outcomes are true of me. There have been times in my life where it's literally a box to check. I read it, and if you asked me about it later, I wouldn't remember. And there have been times of great study, times where I've read scripture that I've read 300 times, but has applied to me differently. That's why we call it the living word. Do you see that? How do you approach your Bible reading? Question three. When it comes to sharing the gospel and living it out, do you care if someone is lost? We have a great propensity to be one way or another. I have seen people, I've seen Terry Lee do it, where he meets a stranger and in an instance finds out what their relationship with Christ is like because he cares for them. It's an amazing thing to watch. 
I've seen people who pray for years for the same person over and over and over again in hopes they will come to faith. Do you have a heart for both? For people that you've just met and for people that you've watched for years not walk with the Lord? What about other Christians? When you walked into this church today, did you have people you were looking for? People who literally bring your heart delight to find. My son is that way with Nick. The minute my son sees Nick Berry, he is like, yeah! Do you have somebody who does that for your heart? And when you see somebody you don't know, does your heart yearn to know who they are in this church? How do you react to strangers? Do you welcome them? Or do you walk off and find your click? Next question. When it comes to church, do you want to support the local church that supports you? What I have found is that there are several people in life. Older Christians are hurt by people in the church. And so they keep the church at an arm's length because the church is full of people who can hurt you. Spoilers, we're all sinners. If you put too much stock in one person, they'll disappoint you. We're sinners. Young people, I love you dearly. One of the greatest things about you is your tenacity and your creativity and your inventiveness and your energy. But for some reason, Gen Z is defined by a lack of commitment. It just is. You've looked at the world that's placed before you. You've seen the hypocrisies that exist. You've been taught to consider it. And you've gone, but if I get too close, I could get hurt. You will. But there's a biblical call to be part of a church. Jimmy says, very often, if you've ever joined or been part of Starting Point, not as much now, but used to, he'd say, the church is a body, right? And we can't look at our body and be like, I love my body, but I hate my arm. For those of us who've done this with him, we've heard it many times. You're not even part of the body. You're like the coffee machine where we pick up the pot and we have the pot on Sunday morning and we pour the coffee and it's great and then we put it down. Don't be that. Join the body. Be part of it. There's a biblical mandate for that. People who are afraid of people who will hurt you, it's okay. We heal. Our faith is not in people. Our faith is in one person, Christ. Next question. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Our culture does not like this question. They don't like black and white. They don't like definitive. They want to believe it's gray. Folks, the only reason anything is gray is because of sin. There is a heaven and there is a hell. One is a great place to be. We will be 
happy. Do I know what it's like? No, I'm not there yet. But I know that we will be together with God, the creator of the universe, the one who knit everything together and holds everything together. And there is a hell, and the hell is defined as separation from God. I sometimes think to myself, if we are separated from the one who holds everything together, what would hell be like? A terrifying image that one youth pastor once gave me is that what if the idea of the God who holds everything together not being there literally means every atom of your body is constantly trying to separate? It's a terrifying image. It was a very deep thinker. Terrifying image. Last question. When considering your own ethics and morals, do you allow the Bible to change your mind? It's not the exact wording of the question. The exact wording of the question is, do you allow your mind to be changed about something based on biblical teaching? I told you all that the wide road where there are many people create a current of culture. It is very easy to walk outside this building listen to a podcast, read an article. It is very easy to do all of that and start to think, eh, that's a good point. Well, I do care about people. Well, I this, well, I that. This is what you need. And you need to be willing to go back here and allow it to change your mind. My wife and I were once in a situation where she was being told over and over again she needed to sue somebody. That person was a believer. We were talking to our pastor about it, and our pastor went to scripture where it says, do not bring worldly lawsuits with a fellow believer. We had a kind of momentary disheartening sigh and went, and we moved on. You have to go to scripture and even let it change your thoughts when it's hard. This is weighty. I have felt it all week. I have looked at my son and realized where I failed. I've looked at my daughters and realized where I failed. I've looked at my wife and realized where I failed. I even had that moment of like, Which road am I on, Lord? But there is hope. You see, the last point here is that there is hope for those who build their house on the rock. Friends, if you have listened to everything that I have said and it has caused you to wonder if your house could have a great fall, then here it is. This is the real hope. The final metaphor that Jesus presents here is to say everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus says the rains will fall. The floods will rise. The winds will blow. And what happens to the house that is built on the rock? It doesn't fall. Why? Because the foundation of the rock is the firmest foundation you can have.
We must have faith that when the storms come, our house will stand. The only way that you can be sure of this is to build it on the most solid foundation of existence, the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. Building your house on the rock is not a one-and-done action. It is a day-in and day-out effort, using the questions that I shared with you earlier. It can help you recognize areas that you need to grow in your reliance on Christ. Even if you read each of them and have a negative response, beloved, I want you to hear my words, you are in the presence of God today. Even if you heard every one of those questions and you went, no, mm -mm, not me, mm -mm, nope, mm -mm, oh, well, that's me, you're here today. You are in the presence of the Lord. You are surrounded by saints worshiping the Father. You're in the right place. Everybody here is trying to grow in the image of Christ. Everybody. And every first step on the narrow path started by looking at Christ and seeing a need. The Lord is Lord forever. Period. Whether you are starting that walk with one step or whether you have been on that trail forever and you've seen friends come along. The Lord is calling you to follow the steps of the narrow path, to continue to grow in biblical knowledge so that you can call out false prophets, to remind you to preach the gospel to yourself day in and day out so that on judgment day, the words you hear are not depart from me for I never knew you. They are well done my good and faithful servant. This rock is worth it. It is everything for the believer. It will be the envy of many, I repeat, many on the day Jesus returns. Jesus offers you hope, all hope that can cast out fears. Take a hold of that hope and never let it go. Let's pray.